Welcome to Leadership Works with Chris and Karen Conley. We are in studio today for part two of our topic of relentless focus. Chris, who should continue listening to this podcast? Anybody who identifies themselves as not only a leader of an organization, but a key teammate. In every organization, you've got these elite level leaders, but then you have the trusted teammates that elite level leaders cannot do what they do without dependability of the trusted teammates. So for those two entities to work together, to be on the same page and to sustain focus is essential. So as we're talking about how these visions become reality, the unity that is involved in focus is a non-negotiable. Well, we've kind of set this up within the context, the practical application, the way that God has had us live out these principles is through High Point Church primarily. So we talked about really kind of those beginning days and how do you know if it's a good idea or a God idea and how do you respond to that dare, to that idea that something must happen. And you've got this idea that has germinated and taken root. But Chris, what we didn't get to last time was that practical reality that when God has called you to something, there is typically these moments along the way where fear creeps in. How has that been present along our journey? And what do you do when you're at those moments where you're just kind of second guessing or coming up against adversity? As I think about that question in the context of High Point, High Point has just entered into our 15th year. Fear looked a little bit different in the first five years than it did the second five years. And now it also looks a little bit different the third five years. But good and bad Throughout the 15 years, I'm still battling fear. So fear doesn't go away. When we think about fear, we need to think about fear in contrast to faith. What does faith mean? The definition of faith, biblically, is that faith is confident trust. Confident trust. If faith is confident trust, what is fear? Fear, in many ways, is the lack of confident trust, right? I become most fearful when I begin to put my trust in me as a leader instead of in what God can do in and through me. I become fearful when I take on too much responsibility, when I don't trust his leading and make sure that my leadership is a servant leadership that's being led by me staying closely connected with the Lord in the way that I walk with him and the way that I listen to him and the way that I pray through these visions, I pray through big decisions in the way that I try to model leadership that loves well, leadership that's responsible. But when all of a sudden I become a little bit too confident in me versus confident in God's leadership of me and can even enter into those realms of pride, then I feel fearful. And I feel fearful because all of a sudden when I step outside the umbrella of God's protection, then I know I'm wise enough to know that anything can happen in this world. And there's lots of adversity and there's lots of circumstances and there's a whole lot more that typically can go wrong than go right. You never want to be debilitated by fear, but you want to respect fear and you want to have an awareness of fear so that fear pushes you back into the realm of faith, confident trust in who God is and in what God can do. 
that image stepping outside the umbrella of God's protection. I think every single leader needs to daily do an umbrella check. If God has given you a gift of leadership, that is a responsibility for you to steward and to use that gift, but to make sure that it is always with his protection. I love that image. Another reality, if we are talking truly about making a sustained difference and we're talking about relentless focus, address those seasons maybe when there's apathy. Where do you go, whether it's your own apathy or it's the apathy of other people as you are trying to cast this vision? Apathy is something that really is a byproduct of me moving away from my faith, my confident trust that this vision is from God. When I begin to take more ownership of the vision, Oftentimes, what we'll do accidentally, when we take more ownership of the vision, in many ways, we don't realize this at the time, but we'll shrink the vision. We'll shrink the vision, maybe not compared to other people, but shrink it compared to what God's vision really is. God's vision is so much bigger than we can comprehend because God understands that he has an unlimited supply of resources in order to fuel your vision. But when I begin to put trust in me instead of trust in God, I shrink the vision. And when I begin to get distracted from the vision and I lose focus as to what God's vision really is, then that vision becomes less than. And when that vision becomes less than, we care about it less. It's less inspiring. Everyone wants to follow a vision that's bigger than life. Everyone wants to be a part of a movement that is compelling. But when we shrink the vision to something that's very doable that we can do within our own resources and our own leadership and our own power, even though we need to be profitable and we need to make money, sometimes when it just becomes about money instead of mission, we become apathetic. And that's where we experience apathy coming into this process. Let me give you just a quick example of what I'm talking about. And again, this is in a church context, but God's vision, when he spoke to me about starting High Point Church, it came out of two primary passages of scripture, Exodus chapter three and Exodus chapter four. But the second passage was Exodus 33 and 34. And Exodus 33, 18, it says, I pray thee, show me your glory. And what happens is, is God passes by in front of Moses and he proclaims his name and he says, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Then as a result of that, God makes a new promise with Moses. And he says this in Exodus 34, 10, he says, behold, I'm going to make a covenant and before all your people, I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations, and all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord. For it is a fearful thing I am going to perform with you. Now that is a huge vision. It is a vision that it is impossible for that to be accomplished within the ability of a leader and a team of leaders. Apathy sets in. When I stray from the bigness of God's vision, when I begin to fear, maybe we're not going to see God's glory in such a way that it produces this new promise that says that 
he's going to perform miracles because I don't know that we see that many miracles anymore. And, and I don't know that I can really control miracles anymore. And so maybe I back off of that a little bit and maybe I'm really content with just teaching things that help people along the way and just help them kind of go from unhealthy to healthy and maybe help them have a little bit happier life. And all of a sudden, when I begin to reduce the vision that God has given us, and I no longer pray for the impossible, and I no longer believe that the impossible is possible, the apathy, before I can even recognize it, sets in in my own vision casting, and it sets in in my own decision making, and it sets in in my own prayer life, and then there's a ripple effect throughout the organization And now all of a sudden, you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to be an organization that just simply makes a little bit more money than not. We're trying to be an organization that survives instead of thrives. We're trying to be an organization that is good enough to provide for everyone, to take care of everyone, to kind of make everyone happy. And that's not what started the vision. That was not the holy discontent. That was not the vision that said this is something that is a clear mental picture of what could be and what should be and what must be. That's not it. So when you begin to shrink the vision and deviate from the vision and take it out of God's realm of requiring his power to it can be done in your power is the moment that you begin to see apathy in your own life as a leader, as a vision caster and then that apathy appears in others so chris if a leader at one point were focused they were hearing from the lord they were living in that and then it kind of shrunk down and it got a little bit nerve-wracking and they just stepped back and apathy set in maybe provide for us a scriptural picture of what it looks like to push through and to battle and have victory over that apathy Definitely. Before I give that scriptural picture, let me say this about apathy. It is a constant battle of every visionary leader. This is something that it's reoccurring. You've got to maintain a certain level of intensity and vision and and really work hard to guard against. Now, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, we see Paul as a leader who really had no concept or understanding of apathy in his own soul. I mean, this man burned brightly for the Lord, passionately for the Lord. And so here what he says is not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, there's focus. That's relentless focus. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You have to press on toward God's definition of success. Don't lower the definition of success. Here's what tends to happen. The more successful we are, the more we gain. And the more we gain, the more afraid we are of losing what we've gained. And so, therefore, we start playing it safe. And we no longer take risk because we're starting to look at all the things that we've accumulated. We don't want to lose what we've gained. So therefore, we start playing it safe. And when we play it safe, we shrink God's vision. And when we do that, again, that's where apathy comes in. But no, Paul says, hey, not that I've already obtained it. 
or have already become perfect. He says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of Christ Jesus. And he says, brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. So even what I've accomplished, I appreciate what I've accomplished. I appreciate what God's done through me, but I'm not going to rest on it. I'm going to allow it to build my faith, and then I'm going to cause it to have me even greater focus. It's going to push me toward more relentless focus, not less focus. Just as you were describing that, I had this mental picture of when you were starting out and that idea, whether again it be a business, a nonprofit, or a church, you haven't received anything. There's nothing you hold on to, and you're just wanting approval. God, was that pleasing to you? I know I don't see a harvest yet, but I just need to know. And then when anything comes up out of the ground, all of a sudden we take our eyes off of asking the Lord if it was pleasing to him. And we're just counting how many crops we have. And that becomes instead our focus and we shrink it down and we're measuring by world standards. When we think about being relentlessly focused, there's always things competing for our focus. As you're successful, a lot of times there are good things competing for your focus. And you oftentimes have to decide between what's essential and non-essential, what's high priority versus priority, what's going to take you from good to great. So the secret to focus is this elimination. You have to eliminate the things that are good, but not great. You have to eliminate things in your life that are sideways energy. The best leaders are not necessarily people who keep adding new products to their service. They don't necessarily diversify all the time. You have to be really careful. There's a lot of great companies out there that have ceased to be great because they diversified beyond their core competencies. So what you really want to do is you want to keep sustaining a relentless focus in the area of your core competencies. Now, there are going to be times that you develop new core competencies, and that's fantastic. There's going to be times that God's bringing new leaders to your team, and they're bringing those new core competencies. And there's an appropriate time to diversify and add to the vision. But the thing that I see take down more leaders and more organizations over time is their inability to eliminate the non-essentials that prevent them from maintaining their focus. Some might say, yes, I've got this vision, but I don't know that I'm relentlessly focused on something. And I think maybe a good observation to point out is all of us are relentlessly focused on something. But many times it's something for ourselves. It's our identity or our creating an image or it's our lifestyle or our career or climbing the ladder. And when life is all about us. That is something that you don't want to stay relentlessly focused on. You just made a fantastic point that makes me smile because it is very easy to see focus, relentless focus, when you begin to look at it in other people's lives. When you look at people's hobbies, there are some people who are relentlessly focused. If they're a hunter or a fisherman, everything about their life revolves. They are focused on this, you know, how they plan their work schedule and how they plan their vacation schedule and how they plan their budget is relentlessly focused on how many times they can go hunting a year and do all that. And hobbies are great within their 
wider context. Hobbies are great within their certain boundaries. But when someone says, I don't know that I'm relentlessly focused, honestly, most of us are relentlessly focused on me, myself, and I. So the most powerful work of God in our lives is to shift the focus from me, myself, and I to shift the focus to God and to others. I love the fact that you brought that up, that there are so many examples of focus in our lives. We have to battle to have the right focus. We've addressed if you're not focused on the right things, you need to reevaluate and not make life about you. But how about that person that's listening that really has tried to discern what that mission is, what that project is, what that next thing is that God has given them? This may seem like an overly simple question or a silly one, but how do you know if you are pressing on? You said it's a simple question. It's a simple question, but those are some of the best questions because oftentimes if we're not careful, we overlook the obvious answer, something that's very familiar. We tend to almost discount it because it is so familiar. So I would encourage all of us. It's just kind of like the fundamentals in sports. Never overlook the simplicity of certain questions or the familiarity of certain answers. So when you say, how do you know if you're pressing on? I really would answer that question with maybe a negative statement in the sense of saying, if you don't know that you're pressing on, then you're not pressing on. If you are uncertain, like it is so obvious when someone is pressing on here recently, I've had the opportunity to interact with a couple of people that are just highly trained athletes or highly trained in different ways that they condition themselves. When someone is a college basketball coach and they're getting ready to launch the college basketball season and they're going through all the training to get their body as physically fit as they can possibly be in order to press on and to be a great college basketball player, in order to have the hopes of going to the NCAA tournament, in order to have the hopes of playing pro sports one day, then it is so obvious where they're pressing on. And if it's not obvious, then it is obvious that you're not doing it. So it should be such a area of commitment in your life. It should occupy certain parts of your calendar in a significant way and occupy your thought in a significant way and occupy your planning and your budgeting in a significant way that you are making an investment. Pressing on is an investment in the future. The vision that we're talking about is the return on the investment. So because you have a clear mental picture of what could be, what should be, what must be, and you want to bring that vision into reality, then you are willing to press on in order to sow the seeds in order to reap the harvest. Chris, as you're saying that, the thought comes to my mind sometimes when you're in the middle of that pressing on, you don't have the harvest yet. It's the fulfillment and the fruition of all of your labor is still yet to be determined. It's still unknown. It's kind of like the parenting journey. Sometimes it actually helps just to normalize to say, pressing on is a part of this. Don't think you're doing something wrong 
because you're having to press on, that that is a part of sustaining, that is a part of the focus. And if we've eliminated the things that are unnecessary, if we've eliminated the things that are distractions, but we are pressing on in those core competencies, we're pressing on in those things that we have said really matter, the big rocks in our business, the big rocks in our life. If that's where you are right now and you just feel like you're in the grind of it to go, that may be where I need to be. In that pressing on, there's a certain intensity involved. Mm-hmm. Another way to evaluate, am I pressing on, is where is there intensity in my life? Just like you spoke to earlier, everyone has certain areas in their life where they're focused. And typically, where we have focus, we have a certain amount of greater intensity in that area. When spiritual intensity comes, then spiritual comfort zones disappear. We can be intense as leaders when there is a goal to achieve. We can be intense as leaders when there's a profit margin or a bottom line. But I want to remind everybody to have that same intensity about their spiritual life and about the pursuit of their spiritual life. See, when spiritual intensity comes, then spiritual comfort zones disappear. What we want to do in this process, we want to make sure that people have a relentless focus in their spiritual life. And that builds the foundation for them to have a relentless focus as God's leader. When you view yourself as a man or woman of God, how are you leading? So there are incredible principles that complement what it means for us to be focused. Well, Chris, we've covered a lot of ground, and I hope it's been a huge encouragement to our listeners. God has a purpose and a specific mission for each of us, and to not be afraid of it, and not be afraid of it if it seems bigger than you. Most of the time, if it's bigger than you, that probably says God is somewhere involved in it. But then to know in the journey, it is a journey. God does not usually bring these ideas and projects and missions together instantaneously. All of us, I believe, to one degree or another, are dreamers. When you go back to our childhood, children have an incredible imagination. Children dream about typically doing something great. But as we go through school, if we're not careful, we allow certain things to kill the dreamer quality in us. I would just encourage you to dream because God created you with infinite possibilities, to dream because it's God's dream in and through you, in that way to revive the dreams that God has for you, to believe again in the talents, in the gifts that God has given you, because history teaches us many things. But there is definitely one thing in context of this relentless focus that history teaches us over and over and over again. It doesn't take a lot of people to change the world. It doesn't take a lot of people. It just takes a few people who are relentlessly focused. So why not you? Why not me? Why not us? If God can plant a seed of his vision in your mind, in your heart, And if you'll just be faithful to focus on that and be faithful with a little, then he'll grow that seed and then he'll take that little and he'll put you in charge of much. And then there'll be a day that once he has done that process again and again and again, he'll say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. There's nothing I'd rather hear then well done, good and faithful servant. He says, because you have been faithful with a little, I'll put you over much. And then listen to these final words, enter into the joy of your master, enter into the joy of your master. So 
the ability to sustain your focus is the ability to make a difference for the glory of God and for the good of people. Well, I hope that this has encouraged you and inspired you. We would love for you to follow us, connect with us. You can get more information at leadershipworksconference.org. Also, highpointmemphis.com. Both of us are on Twitter. Chris's handle is at Chris Conley, C-O-N-L-E-E, and at Karen Conley, K-A-R-I-N-L Conley, C-O-N-L-E-E. 